buckle up. Thank you for listening to Musicians and Beyond, where we bring you the backstage info on the life, lyrics, and long journeys of the music industry. You have hosts John Sarabian and Mark Lawhorn with co-host JC Don Valaris in the studio today. Today we are going to be interviewing Mike Valaris, who is a New England native and has currently hung his hat in Nashville, Tennessee. He's got a history of music and teaching. We would like to welcome Mike to Musicians and Beyond. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's great to be home. It's great to have you here, man. <laughs> it's great to have you here, just like old times. Malden's changed. Uh, little downtown Malden's is looking changed, a little bit different. Right? <laughs> so when, when were you here? Um, in I taught at Malden Catholic from 2000 uh, to 2009, right up until I moved to Nashville. Excellent. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. In a uh, testimonial that I read about you kind of sums you up. Uh-oh. But this one here was from um, uh, Chris Henderson. Oh, from Three Doors From Down. Three Doors Down, yeah, man. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's, that's huge. He goes, I've learned more in one month with Mike than I did with all my other instructors combined. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. He's a great dude. He's that, a great that's dude. cool. So we, li- we live in the same town. So we we live a little bit north of Nashville in a town called Hendersonville. Yeah. And uh, he lives on the lake up there. So, um, yeah, I don't remember how we got hooked up. Um, maybe his management maybe had heard of my teaching and maybe put him in touch. I can't recall. It was a few years back. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're one of the most respected music instructors in the whole area. Oh, well, that's, that's nice. But well, no, that's, <laughs> do my that's, best. that's what I, that's what I hear. That's, that's nice of you to say, but yeah, Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. I haven't seen him in a long time, but yeah. it was a fun life. Like you yeah. said, you do your best. Well, your best is pretty damn good. <laughs> so you do a lot of instruction. I do quite a bit of instruction. Is that your main? That's what I do for a living is, and probably, um, well, I was about to say I'm, I may even enjoy that more than even some aspects of performance in some ways, but it's true. I love, I, I love to teach. Yeah. 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 And do you focus on like the youth or adults or, or anyone of, that will listen? Most of the people that, that seek me out are ones that are looking to get into higher level guitar knowledge, higher level guitar pedagogy, an interest in improvisation, an interest in jazz, you know, just really getting into the nuts and bolts of their instrument at a higher level. Um, so I teach at Belmont University. I teach it, um, teach privately out of my home, and I also teach at uh, Johnson University remotely. And I think it's just a, a word of mouth thing, you know. It's just like hopefully, if you send one person out with increased skill and, and increased confidence, that you know more will come knocking. <laughs> yeah, you definitely yeah. have a good name out there in Nashville and in around here. I thank, mean, you, thank you've you. Thank done you. some great stuff. You went to Berkeley College. Yeah, Berkeley was great. Yeah, yeah. I did Berkeley. Um, I guess I could date myself. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm proud of where I've been. <laughs> it's uh, 90 to 94. Yeah, it was when I did Berkeley College of Music. Yeah, right out of high school. Wonderful place. You know, a lot of people I know are still there. Hello, Berkeley Guitar Department. I miss you. <laughs> so you, you've been doing music 25 plus years now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In some in some capacity. Sometimes it was more teaching. Sometimes it was more playing. It's, it's always going on simultaneously. It, yeah. Do you have any interesting stories about walking across the stage to receive your diploma? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sting was the... Uh, recipient of the honorary doctorate when I when I got my diploma. That's pretty cool. So that's a funny story. So oh, I'm a huge Sting fan, right? Huge Sting fan. So here's the moment I'm going to get my diploma and there's Sting. You know what I said to him? I said, thank you, Mr. Sting, is what I said. <laughs> Just awful. Just awful. <laughs> awful. <laughs> but I got the picture of it and I'm like 
beaming. You know, it's like I didn't know whether I was more excited to finally graduate or shake hands with Sting. Uh, at, that's at that, legendary. At man. that point, he's considering himself a superhero. I'm Mr. Sting. Yeah, you know, yeah. thank you, Mr. Sting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what he said? He goes, "I can't do an English accent," but he's like, "Very nice." That's what he said to me. Wow. <laughs> That's great. That's a cool story. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. That's a cool story. So you've met a lot of famous musicians along the way. You've taught them. You've played alongside them. Who have you played with? Uh, proudest moments as far as playing with musicians. Um, best musician I've ever played with was my teacher, Charlie Binakis. That's the best musician I've ever played with in my life. Wow. And he was only famous in the world of education. And anyone who's listening to this who's um, familiar with this area in jazz music and jazz pedagogy in this area knows who Charlie was, but he was probably the greatest jazz educator of our time. He's passed away. He passed away in 2009. So that was the greatest musician I've ever played with. Um, other people like Steve I is up there. Larry Coriel was a big name. Um, Larry's passed too. So I was really proud to play with him as well. You know, you said something interesting earlier about your, you know, your passion for music and your passion for teaching and you, you, you kind of fall into the teaching environment. We've talked to a few artists here in studio, and, and when we're interviewing them, a lot of them reference the fact that they're still learning every day. Absolutely. And, and so I've, I think it's great. Musicians actually reach out to work from you and want to keep honing their craft and learning. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of fans at home just think, oh, well, a guy gets to this level, and he must just be you know sitting at home or he's forming only at concerts or right. in the studio. Right. But it's a, it's a lot of work. It really depends what you want to do. You know, it really depends what's important to you. If you want to acquire a set of skills and be at a level where you can get a, a road gig and just kind of, you know, play the parts and, and that's, that's great. You know, then there's also, there's a level of musicianship that goes to that next level where it becomes more of an art form and you work on your own development and you work on your own sense of artistry and, and your personal voice, so to speak, you know, um, that's a whole other story. That's an endeavor that's going to take you for the rest of your life, you know. So I think I think that's kind of what I've gravitated towards, not only in my teaching, but also in my playing. These days, I, I kind of look at things as trying to hone my own identity and my own voice and, and my own sound and the music that I make. And even if I'm playing with other people, it's important to me that there's some sort of identity in what I do, you know, that's personal and that's honest, you know, and that takes a lot of work. That's, yeah. that's constant practice. Sure. <laughs> wow. So you and your wife are both huge into music, and your wife happens to be our co-host today, mm -hmm. J.C. Don Valaris. Do you guys do anything musically together? Well, that's how we met. That's how we met. I had been, um, well, you can tell, Jason, you want to tell the story? Sure. Yeah. Mike auditioned to play guitar in my band. We actually got booked to open for Vince Gill and Amy Grant, and it was going to be a big show, and I needed to, to put together a bigger band than I had been playing with. And so I put out a call for guitar players. Should I tell them how I picked you? That's, it was solely that's, based that's on his skill. Yeah, that's, <laughs> no. that's up to you. <laughs> I got so many people that wanted to audition to be in our band, and I could not decide who to reach out to because I was a little bit overwhelmed. So true story, hand to God. I looked at my computer screen, I closed my eyes, and I put my finger down on one person's name, and it was Mike Valeris's <laughs> name. So Seriously? I yeah. would like to say that I, I solely based his... Uh, <laughs> That was, wow. that was your first blind date. It sure was. And, and what, then a, he and showed what up. a weird experience, too, because I had been completely out of the arena of playing anything commercial or pop or anything like that for, for years. I mean, I had made a, a commitment to just concentrating on, I don't think I was practicing anything other than, than bebop language at that time. I had made a serious commitment to a certain art form and 
changing gears to beat me you know, from being in bands and chasing record deals and all that sort of thing. Like I really was in a different mindset. And then all of a sudden I was like, I wonder if I could do that one more time. You know, I, I wonder if I could just kind of enter that commercial realm and see if I still got that fire in me to hop up on stage and do a show like in the old days. I'm just like, let me, and, and country music was starting to get a little bit more popular. And I said, I've never done any country music in my career. So there was also that. Right, here's a genre of music I've never delved into, and you know I'm still relatively young. That I think I would like to get on stage and put on a show. So let me let me try this. <laughs> I met my wife. So wow. he showed up to the audition, and thank God he was a very talented guitar player. Because if he wasn't, we would have had a problem. But he was, and uh, it's so weird. Like you know, that is who's, so who's going to hire the who's going to hire the guy that's been transcribing Bill Evans and Charlie Parker solos for the <laughs> right. last ten years. You know what I mean? It's like serendipity. It's so weird. Absolutely, yeah, meant to be. Definitely meant to be. So is that why you moved to Nashville? I think whether we had both met each other or not, we were both ready for a move. I think it just made the leap easier to know that you had a person willing to do it with you. But I was I was ready for that next thing. Um, I, I mean, I love it here. Boston's incredible. But I think I had hit that glass ceiling. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I, had, I was gigging a ton in weddings. I was gigging a ton with my own group in, in jazz combos. I was... I was studying, I was with, like I said, I was with Charlie Binakis, Um, but there was still that gnawing thing that I want to know that all this hard work would make me a value in one of the three musical centers, whether it be New York, LA, or Nashville, you know, it, it, did all this hard work matter that I have something to offer a larger music community? Could I hack it? You know what I mean? Or it's not even like a making it thing. It's like, here's this amazing community. If I go there, can I be a part of it? And Will they need me? <laughs> right. Well, there's a, there's a lot yeah. of ups and downs. A couple interviews ago, he was explaining, you have to be able to accept the, the nose. It was you rough, know, the, the, It was rough. I don't want to talk about, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I could talk about all the downs. It was not easy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not an easy thing. And then if you go on the road, you're going to leave your family. You, there's a lot that you have to uh, give up. It's not just, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. We don't have any children, so there's that, you know, but... Yeah. Our first, how many years there? Probably three or four years. Three or four was brutal. And if you can get through that, you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. do you guys think you'll do something together musically again in the future? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not against it. What we do intersects in places. You know, we help each other out when, when we can. I'm not... I think a lot of what we do kind of, like you said, it crosses over each other. I mean, we're still both very much involved in the music business, right? So we bounce ideas off of each other because we understand the industry. And a lot of people don't understand the way the music industry, especially in Nashville, work. So the fact that we are able to do that, it feels like we work together almost, right. you know. But of course, I mean, there are so many times when I'm working on writing a song and I'm like, what is this chord? I don't know where this goes. And Mike right. will jump in and help me out with that. And I think we always do it. I work a lot. I designed his last well, everything, album. Everything you see about me online is her. I was going to say, well, I do a lot right. of every, that. I don't do something. any of that. <laughs> no no country chops, no no background in it, and you decided to go down to Nashville with your jazz background. Yeah, yeah. And was it's it, insane. It's insane. Yeah. You know, I did... Uh, what, what, That's a leap of faith. I was teaching at Berkeley last summer for their summer sessions, and like one of my former mentors, my former teachers, said to me, he's just like... Thought you wouldn't, and how'd you end up down there? <laughs> you think you'd end up down there? Yeah, it is weird, right? But there is, there's so much there besides country music. Oh, I country. mean, yeah. there's so much there. It, it's, of course, that's the main draw of the industry, and it's an important part of the, the scene down there. But 
the real Nashville is so much more than that. I want to give a shout out to all my musician friends in the in the jazz and artistic community down there. It's the most wonderful, wonderful, accepting, nurturing scene of people. Some of the most amazing musicians I've ever met. There's, there's great culture. Some, it's unbelievable. There's great Latin musicians. There's great jazz musicians, fusion fusion musicians, funk, pop. Uh, there's a lot of talent there. It's a great community. I also um, think it's one of the things that has made you stand out. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier today about making it in Nashville. You have to have something unique to offer. If you're a copycat of every other person down there, you're not going to be able to stand out. And what you've been able to bring to the table is something that isn't as familiar to the Nashville industry. Of course, there's a community of musicians who are like-minded, but you came into the town with something a little bit different. And I think it's been a big part, especially with your education. I think what you bring to the table as a teacher is a little bit different than the average person teaching a guitar player who may want to, you know, branch away from the country music genre. Yeah, I guess I do come from a point of mentorship, you know, and wanting to, to help in that respect and give something back to the town that's important. But um, what I was saying earlier about developing your own sound and trying to develop your own identity, that's the only thing that can really set you apart anywhere. Yeah. As long as you're just patient enough to just hang out and, and let wherever you are, let whatever town you're in decide where it wants to place you. Nashville is like that because th there are so many talented people. It's going to define you relatively quickly. Well, you said um, it earlier, and it, it sticks out that you said you have to go out and put it all out there and mm -hmm. let the town decide what it, it wants from it's you. Like, it's like the island well, on Lost. You know what I mean? It's like basically the town will take control and... Great reference. Right? It's like it's going to do with you what it will. And that's kind of what happened for me. It didn't matter what I want. I thought I wanted to do when I moved down there. I thought I'd try a little bit of everything. I tried. Maybe I'll try and get a road gig. Maybe I'll do sessions or maybe... And within a few years, Nashville said, nope, we need you here. And this is where your gifts are needed and so be it. You that's know? awesome. So I just do what I do and it <laughs> now are you still playing around with the mike valeris trio yes yeah that's my my heart project so that's uh my trio in nashville consists of myself uh west little and brian allen two very prominent musicians in the area and up here i've been playing with uh irvin demo uh and steve langone from this area if there's ever gigs in this area but down there it's wes and brian and you guys just released an album and that was titled cover me correct Right. So how, how can people download that? or That's on all streaming platforms. That's wherever you get your music, Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere else. Uh, either go to my website at uh, MikeValerisMusic.com or just Google me. It's it's everywhere. <laughs> cool. you, you've both made it pretty far in your industry, and, and you're at a, a level that a lot of people hope to attain, right? And you come back in, in May, you were playing up at the Chelmsford Community Arts mm -hmm. Center near and dear to your heart. Yeah. And so I know that the trio you played with up here was very impressive. And uh, oh, thank you. Is that something you came back to do because you grew up there and it's it, it giving back to a community? I know because you were on the bill up there as well, right? Yeah. And actually the Chelmsford Center for the Arts is one of my clients. I do a lot of their marketing and their website and graphic design and stuff Excellent. like that. I think at the end of the day, we both do the things that mean something to us. Mm -hmm. And in an industry where so much is about smoke and mirrors and the way things look and the way they're supposed to look, we both are really, really like-minded in the sense that we do things that mean something to us. So it's good to do something in your closer to your hometown. You know, I'm from Lowell, so it was a good central location. When we released the record, we did it at the Lily Pad in Cambridge, so that was more of like a Boston centralized show. And so I hadn't done anything closer to home, so we figured the next one we did would be up there. So. Great. Excellent. So speaking of your album, I'm going to play one of your songs. Sure. And then I want you to tell me a little bit about the background of it. Sure. First of all, the the, the title is super catchy. Mingus Fadingus. <laughs> all right, let's, let's play this, and then we want to hear the story behind it. 
Okay, Mike, that was Mingus Fidingus. <laughs> Can you just give us a little bit of background on this? It's funny because um, Wes Little, are you listening? Like Wes Little, my drummer back in Nashville, always <laughs> calls it the wrong thing, and he calls it a Ming- Mingus de Fingus. <laughs> so it's the other way around, pal. Um, so it's just a cute story. It's like my, my godson, when he was a toddler, whenever my, my brother would put on some uh, Charles Mingus he would just start dancing like crazy, you know, you know? Uh, so it was, what I did is I took the, the Mingus tune goodbye pork pie hat. And I wrote uh, what's called the contrafact, which is you take the chord changes from one tune, you put a different melody to it. You base it off of the same chord changes. And I did a really twisted version of the chord changes of that tune with a different melody. Um, and my brother always used to call my godson Dingus. I was like, let's look at this little Dingus dance. You know what I mean? So I just, I just called the tune Mingus for Dingus. It's just a cute little story. Yeah, you know? Good back info on. <laughs> and he loves 20. it. And he's, uh, how old is Christopher now? Eight. Eight. You know, he loves to come to the shows and he knows it's his tune, you know, and he beams when I play it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. What other stories do you have about some of the music that you've written? Um, it's what's amazing is actually, you know, we were talking about, Mauled and Catholic. Like one of the tricks I used to have when I used to teach high school is I used to teach a guitar class. And while the kids were practicing on their own, that was actually a good little proving ground for if if something I was writing was going to stick. So I would sit at my desk while the kids were practicing. And just if I had an idea for a riff or a tune, I'd just kind of play it to myself. And if none of the teenagers would like look up, I know, all right, that's not a keeper. And then if I played something and everyone's heads went up and said, what is that? I'm like, all right, that's going to work. So I take notes. So there's a lot of the times I would use that as a little litmus test. Like, you know, what's, so Malden Catholic comes back. Nice. My memory for that. I mean, every, every tune is different. The new album, the new album is interesting because it's, except for the song you just played, everything else is a, is a kind of a twisted version of a, a standard or, or tune that I've been influenced by, a composer I've been influenced by. Uh, so this record has been fun to make because I don't want to, I actually don't feel I have anything to give to the jazz world by playing a standard the way it's been done a million times. You know, I, I can't improve on Duke Ellington, <laughs> right? It's like I can't improve on Miles Davis. So when you can't, if I feel I can't improve on these masters, it's about like what I said earlier, what do I sound like and what is my identity and how can I take these things and deconstruct them and turn them into something else? So that's really what the album is. I've, I've heard you describe it as creatively improvised. Well, improvisation is a huge part. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, um, the, the word jazz is a little bit difficult to nail down. It's not one that I use a great deal for my music. Number one, the musicians that played that music didn't refer to it as jazz. It's a music industry term. So it's jazz is there as a label for them to know where to put me on iTunes or something like that. So it the history of this music is is black music, you know, and it and it comes from a it comes from a history of improvisation. And it's important that we know that this music is music pioneered by Louis Armstrong and Charlie Christian and Charlie Parker, and, you know, so it's this music, improvisation in this music is essential, in in my opinion, whether it's swings or whether it's funky or whether it's based in rock and roll or that sort of thing. So, yeah, improvisation is the heart of, of what I do, but you can't, I don't think you could listen to my music. I can't call my music strictly jazz because I'm a child of the 1980s, right? There was that summer I listened to Brian Adams' Reckless, and that was the only thing I listened to. So that's in my DNA somewhere, right? There's the four years that I listened to nothing else but Huey Lewis and the News, right? So it's like those sounds are in my DNA, right? So it's you're, you're kind of like a, a, you know, you're a whole of the sum of your parts, you know what I mean, as far as what your, what your music sounds like. But there is 
there is Bill Evans and there is Sonny Rollins and there is Herbie Hancock and what I do. And that's in my DNA as well. And you're going to hear that. So as you're driving down the road in your car, mm -hmm. what do you listen to? Uh, this stuff. Podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I hope you have Musicians and Beyond as yeah, your number yeah. one on the playlist. I listen to podcasts and um, 80s music that makes me feel 17 again. You pop in the first Extreme album because it makes me think of the summer of 1989. You Excellent. Know? Um, and then... Jazz music and all the great artists is usually done at home when I don't have the roar of the tires on the road disrupting my hearing so I can actually listen to things and steal things from them. You know? yeah. <laughs> but no, my listening in the car, my listening in the car is strictly nostalgia. It's the yeah. John Hughes playlist. <laughs> so you could probably be driving down the road and think of something that you want to write. I do you get know. ideas like that. There's a Peter Gabriel tune on the new record, which is it's kind of like the odd man out because it's not a it's not a jazz standard. It, Digging in the dirt by Peter Gabriel that came to me in the car as an idea. Like I always loved that tune. That's a, a, just a great, passionate, dark piece of music. Yeah. So I was like, that would be good as like a. Where was the weirdest place that an idea for a song ever happened? Um, it's actually when I'm playing other tunes. It's because the music is so improvisational. You know what I mean? Like, actually, on the bandstand. So we could be improvising and playing one tune, and I could play a thing. I could play a part that comes out of who knows where, you know, your subconscious or something. And then hopefully tape is running or video is running, and I can remember what it was. And that turns into tunes a lot of the that's, time. Just that's comes wicked comes from, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so it's you, very interesting. You always have to keep something running. You always, I, that's why, that's why actually social media is kind of cool because it, it gives you the opportunity to have, if you're deciding to tape some content for social media, record some content for social media that day and just sit around noodling yeah you may find something cool to post but you'll have documentation of ideas that you can kind of go back to and sometimes those become compositions yeah one of our previous guests michael pace said he was at a uh, a cookout with all his friends and something popped up about the dr seuss horton mm -hmm. here's a who yeah. and and he said he had this idea and he just ran to the bathroom and started writing it in his phone and like people thought he was choking or something like <laughs> they're like, w Mike, what happened? He, he's yeah. like, no, no, just leave me, leave me. Yeah. I, you know, he goes, I had it. And he wrote this song and it's about his grandfather. Oh, wow. And um, his grandfather it, suffers from dementia. Oh, wow. Yeah. The elephant has the supposedly the greatest memory, right? Yeah, Elements yeah. don't forget. Elephants don't forget uh, anything. Oh, okay. And so the song, Even Elephants Forget Sometime. Oh, wow. It's yeah. about his grandfather's inability to remember the relationship he has with oh, his grandson. Oh, that's heavy. What oh, a cool really title, heavy. too. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, he's Great another up-and-coming musician. Yeah, yeah composition can be like that sometimes, but other times composition is just work like anything else. I mean, the same, you know, the same way you get up and just do your job. I mean, if, if it's your job to compose that day, you just hit it, you know, yeah. and just 90% of it could be junk that day. You know, I, I, I compose way more than I release. You know, it's 90% of it gets thrown out. And I mean, JC could probably relate to that from writing. It's just like... It's how you find your way to the, what you find. Yeah, you yeah. just get to chip, go chip away at yeah. things. And so sometimes it's work. Yeah, sometimes you get those great things that just happen and they're quick. But that's, in my experience, that's few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing in music has been easy. None of it. It's like I've, I've bled for every single thing that I can do, whether it be on my instrument, whether it be in composition, whether it be a, a good teacher. I think the passion for it came no problem. You know, that was just probably in my blood, you know, something I inherited. But Interesting. So I wanted to ask you, was there any musical influence in your house that led you to where you are? Not as playing, as far as playing an instrument. Okay. None. 
none. My dad would have probably been an amazing musician. My dad just interesting. He, I bought him a clarinet one year for Christmas. He's from like the northern parts of Greece, like oh, way okay. up, like almost close to Albania, right? So if you've, I always say like my earliest musical influences are the music of my dad's part of Greece. It's almost like imagine what old school blues is to the people who invented it in this country. You know, it's right. just like this, but on clarinet. You know, it's just like this wailing, longing, this, this, uh, a melancholy in the music, mm. you know, that's just amazing. If you know early blues, you can rich see, in history. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. And he's got that in his heart. He's got it in his blood, you know, so that music is the first music I heard. And I think he would have been a great musician if he, you know, didn't need to come to this country and make a better life and all right. that thing. So I think I got it from him. But as far as instruments, no, I can't think of anybody who played. Uh, my first instrument was accordion because my folks love Lawrence Welk, right? <laughs> Myron Florin, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, so it's like, so I, I played accordion. I guess I was pretty good at it. I, I don't know. I, I would go to the competitions. I was like this chubby seven, eight-year-old and, you know, I guess I did pretty good at the competitions, but I'd be nervous, ready to puke before them and everything. Yeah. And, then, and then MTV hit, right? And so who played accordion? It was like Weird Al. Yeah, right. That's about <laughs> it. I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm like Eddie Van Halen's like killing it right now. And just like Weird Al's the only guy who's playing my instrument. I'm like, something's going to change, man. So it all, it all changed after that. The second part of that would be your love of teaching. Yeah. Was there a yeah. teacher that really had an impact upon you yeah. as you came up? Charlie Bunnings. Yeah. Charlie was the guy, man. But but I gotta I gotta give shout outs to the guys that, um, there was a great teacher out of Lowell by the name of David Souza, who was my private teacher up in, from like twelve up until I went to college. John Wilkins was my private instructor at Berkeley. He was the first teacher because I wasn't a jazz player at Berkeley. I was still long haired kid chasing rock star dreams. You know what yeah. I mean? I didn't even think I could play that music. Uh, and I remember I went to my lesson that day and I told John, I was just like, I wish I could play like a jazz guy. And he's like, No, man, you do. You know? And he was like the first guy that kind of pulled the curtain away to make me see that this was just music like any other music. It was just going to take a heck of a lot more work than learning Smoke on the Water or something right. like that. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, he was incredible. He's he's still around. He's retired, but he was incredibly important. I did my grad work with John Wheatley, uh, who teaches at, uh, that was at UMass Lowell, but he also teaches at Berkeley. And if anybody can go see John Wheatley play, he's a genius. He's a genius. I think at one point he knew like 3,000 standards and can play them for you in any key. It was incredible. <laughs> Bruce Bartlett, who also teaches at Berkeley, but I studied with him privately after I graduated. He, he was an incredible teacher. He, he was one of those guys that kind of took me to that next level of awareness of where my playing needed to go when I didn't even know where it needed to go, you know? And then I went to Charlie Benakis and Charlie taught some of the most famous jazz musicians on the planet. You know, whether you do what I do, whether you're playing or whether you're at the level of like a Wynton Marsalis, it doesn't matter. He created a brotherhood with musicians all across the world because we all studied with him, you know. So those are the guys. Yeah, it's yeah. well, incredible. Quite a list. JC and Mike, besides music, mm. what do you guys like to do? Oh, I got her into Stranger Things this week. <laughs> should never, should never watch Stranger Things, and we're binging the whole thing again, man. I'm psyched. Oh, that's awesome. I, 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 I am a, I am a fantasy movie escapism buff. I mean, lock me in a room with anything that makes me feel like the 1980s again, and I am there, man. I'm just like that. I'm, I'm a big movie person, you know. Fun. We love to travel, though. We travel yeah, a yeah. lot. We love yeah. to go out to dinner and stuff like that. We're yeah. pretty simple. I sometimes yeah. think that our lives are so busy in what we do that the simplest things like just binging a Netflix TV show yeah. is our perfect night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're very boring people. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're big on where we, what place are we checking out for dinner tonight? You know? yeah. 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 All right, so with that, any favorite spots in Nashville for dinner? Hmm. Well, I will say we always complain that we miss the Boston area as far as food and yeah. restaurants are concerned because we both really love seafood and you just cannot get fresh seafood in Nashville. But there's very good Mexican in, Ma- in Nashville. Yep, yep. So we are, we're very big... Um, on going for margaritas and tacos. We kind of stay in our little area, our little hometown yeah. area, rather than like going into Nashville oh, proper to eat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone's I like, don't blame you know, Because it's it's a little bit crazy down there yeah. as of late. Yeah. If you if you visited, you know, so it's like we kind of just keep to our own little area. You know, but yeah. what were your dreams when you were a kid? Oh, you I always, want to be a rock star. You want to be a rock star? No question. Really? No question. You didn't want to be a firefighter or a doctor I, I, I or know. something? No, you know, a rock star. I didn't, I didn't even want, you know, if you told me that, you know, I would be known as an educator as much as a player, I'd be like, no way, man. I'm just going to be rocking yeah. out, you know? Yeah. Well, Famous, you're you know? definitely an inspiration in the music <laughs> industry. It you just, know? It happens, rock, it happens, rock in or ways, not. happens in ways you never think. But no, man, I wanted to just rule the world on a stage, hair flying in, in the wind, you know? Mm. That's what I wanted. How about an unknown or a spot that you won't find? Obviously, you don't want to be down on Broadway, but your jazz around Nashville or around your area. Are there any cool, like you could go over to, we talked about where John visited uh, not long ago down in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Beautiful spot, jazz, history rich. Any spots like that around Nashville that people should know about? Rudy's Jazz Room. Rudy's Jazz Big plug. Okay. Adam, you listening? <laughs> I just plugged you in Boston. No, Rudy, now, Rudy's is our place. And now you know how to get in if you need to. Call and ask for Adam. <laughs> I'm friends of Mike's. Yeah. Rudy's is our is our place. That's Excellent. as close to like a, not as close. It is a proper jazz club that you would see in New York City and lots of everything from straight ahead jazz to fusion to, to vocal stuff. You've not only gig there but you enjoy the time oh watching. you have yeah. to you got to go support your people yeah. i i actually go to see more local shows and support my peers more than i probably see concerts that come through town that's great <laughs> you know that's great um that's my favorite place in town to see jazz well i do want to say you know i think one thing that's really cool is how many of your students have gone on to play for really big names in the industry i don't think you talk about that enough and shameless plug i think yeah, you gratifying. should i think i think most important you give a student the tools to do whatever they want to do the most you know some like i said like some people have aspirations of yeah playing with a uh, luke combs or playing with uh, whoever you know and if you know that about them and you want to steer them that way or help them in those endeavors, that's great. But, you know, everybody wants different things, you know. And I, I think if you want to be a good teacher, you have to – you can't just have, like, a blanket teaching philosophy because there is no such thing. Everybody comes to you with something that they need. And you can't really push your goals uh, of your creativity on the student. You know, it's not even – you can't even push your path on the student. All you can do is like, this worked for me. I'm going to give you what I think you need to help you achieve what, what you want to do. So, yeah, so there's, there's some kids that do want that kind of commercial success. There's other kids that want to go to New York and hash it out in the trenches and play standards, you know, and that's a whole other different endeavor. And mm-hmm. other kids want to do something else, you know. So. Do any of these kids come up to you knowing that you've kind of got to a point that you've you've made it and ask for recommendations or ask? Well, sure. Uh, oh, sure. What, what kind of uh, advice do you give them? Concentrate on the music first. Concentrate on your instrument first. Um, don't, like you guys mentioned earlier, keep learning. You know, it, it's 
you, it almost becomes like a lifestyle thing. Like you go to the gym and you eat healthy. You know what I mean? It's like you get into a habit of doing that every day. It's the same thing with music. Like if I go to bed at night, I need to feel that I learned a little bit something different or I got a little better at something I wasn't as good at yesterday. That's kind of my litmus test for how well I did that day. I think it's imparting that knowledge on them to just keep improving. That's the most important thing. I really do believe if you take care of the music, everything else is, is going to be okay. That's huge. That's a big part of it. The other thing is, like JC talked about earlier, like to be a good person and just to support your community and not to treat it like a competitive thing. You know, you should be part of your community and trying to build it up and trying to make it better. Like, I'm so proud of being in the community I'm in. It's not about me scrounging to try to get to some top of it, which is non-existent. You know, I just love it and I love the people in it and I love to play with those people and I love to go hear them play so it's about really just having that type of attitude wherever you want to work and you'll get a good reputation it's nothing you'll have to fight for you know it's just just be yourself and be patient those two things everything else will be okay you know if you concentrate on the music you work really hard and really make it a point to support your community and other musicians endeavors and just make what you do known i think you'll be okay and everything else could take you down a million other trajectories i don't know what those are going to be i can't tell a student what those are going to be because i don't know where their lives are going to go right yeah that that advice is incredible you really that's anywhere that's anywhere not in my town that's here in boston that's it doesn't matter where you set up shop right right if you're going to commit and want to go down that road be committed. Yeah, exactly. Go all the way with it. Exactly. So again, Mike, how do people find out about what you're doing, where you're going to be, stuff that's going on in your I, life? My website's MikeValerisMusic.com. Uh, Mike Valeris is my handle for everything, for Instagram, for Facebook, Google search. I'm I'm there. I iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your music. All info for contacting me is is there. You know, just send me a DM or, you know, I'm easy to find. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Name of the new album. Is Cover Me. Cover Me. And what's your favorite song off the new album? My favorite song, Digging in the Dirt, is up there. Yep, I like that one. Uh, and there's a really there's a really creative version of, of Nardis by <laughs> Miles Davis on there that actually stemmed out of a social media post. Like, I was just wanted to post something on social media that day, and I decided to just, like, play this tune, Nardis, in just, like, this really weird way. I didn't even think about how I was doing it. I didn't analyze it musically. I didn't analyze it cerebrally. And it ended up being really cool. And I started getting some DMs saying, you know, what did you do to that song? It's like, it sounds different. So I'm like, I don't know. So I analyzed it and I'm like, wow, this is actually time changes, do some weird things. I'm like, maybe I should actually analyze this and write it down. And it ended up being the first song of the record. Great. Well, again, on behalf of Musicians and Beyond, John Sarabian, Mark Lawhorn, JC Don Valaris, Mike Valaris, we'd like to thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. We appreciate you coming in. Had a great time. Safe, safe travels home. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Welcome back to New England. Thank you.